Holly Whitaker. And I am Laura McCowan. And this is Home Podcast. And so we would begin. Good morning. <laughs> we were just talking about the power of coffee and in transforming one. <laughs> Rapid transformation of Holly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, how yeah, you, you texted me that you had a, you texted me yourself with like a zombie face, and then about seven minutes later, you were on Skype. No, and like, then I was on Skype, and for the first ten minutes, I was <laughs> I was an angry mess, and then <laughs> and then when the coffee kicked in, I don't yeah. know if it's I don't know how quick it actually takes for ca- caffeine to work. Um, I notice a difference the second I smell it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Well, I think that's like the psychosomatic aspect. Yeah, of it. for but, sure. Um, but fuck, it, it's like I used to feel better when I would see when you know it's the in bar. sight. Okay, okay, we're safe. We're safe. Right, 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 right. Well, it's true. I mean, there is there is a psychosomatic part around drinking, and which is when you are when you want like when you want it, the relief comes before you take a drink. The relief yeah. comes when you know you're gonna get it. There's, that's What's been shown happen? and proven that. That it's not, yeah. So I guess it would make sense for coffee, except it really, for me, it truly does have to actually do something, especially when I'm this tired. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, how are you this beautiful I'm great. spring morning? It's, yeah, Tuesday, and it's beautiful out. Finally, in Boston, it's been, it was rainy for about 10 days, and the sun's out these last two days, and I'm in my yoga clothes right now, and it's, you know, Tuesday at 9.30, and we're doing this, and then I'm going to go do a yoga class and then write, so. Sounds like a great uh, morning. I'm great. I'm great. Yes. You? I'm good. I am, I'm kind of have a similar morning. I have um, a little bit of work after this, and then I'm going to go to a yoga class at 9.15, and then I'm going to hang out with my neighbor who's also my, that woman. The photographer? That did, yes. Um, because we both have weird schedules. So we're going to yeah. go hang out during the day and then I'm going to go do some work and then, I don't know. I like finding all the people with weird schedules. It's been, it's been fun. It's really great. It is really great. It makes you feel normal. Yeah. I was in <laughs> Starbucks yesterday waiting before, after I dropped my daughter off, waiting before I went to my yoga class and I I had three people like walk up to me at Starbucks um, that I usually only see, you know, on weekends or whatever. I'm like, what do you, what, what happens here? What, <laughs> what have you, this is what you guys have been doing this whole time. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And everybody was like on their way to do, you know, to do their, whatever they do for work. But it was, it was kind of an odd hour. And usually I would be, I would have been, you know, doing the, <laughs> as my friend Jason says, the commuter shuffle. <laughs> the commuter. Ugh. Yeah, I know. 
I, I don't. I really don't miss that. I really do not miss that. I do miss, there are, there are aspects that I miss. I really miss being in an office. I really miss that camaraderie, especially the office I worked at. My last job was just yeah. awesome. I mean, I worked with all my friends. And, um, and it was also, you know, we all, I kind of got to make on some level my own schedule. But yeah. Um, yeah. But I do, I really do miss being in an office setting with all those people and knowing all those people. But, um, but that's kind of it. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> oh, and I will miss paycheck. that at some point, but I do not. Uh, anything else? Anything else exciting going on? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Nothing I want to talk about. <laughs> Me too. No, let's, let's get into it. Okay. We're talking about shame. Yes, shame. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you, this was your idea. And no, it was my friend Claudine's idea. Oh, Claudine. I love Claudine. I know. I love Claudine, too. Um, and it's brilliant. And, yeah. um, and it's something I wouldn't think to talk about because I was like, haven't we already talked about shame? I mean, right. hasn't, that, hasn't everything we've talked about been somehow tied into shame? But we haven't. Yeah. No, we haven't. We haven't specifically talked about it or explicitly so this is great um so let's let's go let's start yeah so the first thing is um how do you define shame laura what is uh to me shame is just a uh, disgust and an acceptance of you know who i am at the most basic level uh, a rejection of of my humanness. Mm, I like that. What does it mean to you? Um, well, when I think of shame, I think of ashamed. And I think of it just being, being ashamed of parts of, of myself. I looked up the definition for it. The definition is the ability to feel... Because I, when I was thinking about it, like what is shame? And I was trying to define it before we did this. Yeah. I kept on thinking of guilt. Yeah, like, no. guilt, right? And then um, the definition of it is the ability to feel guilt, regret, or embarrassment. So when I think of really? shame, mm-hmm, that's one of the definitions, Miriam, Miriam Webster, huh. um, which is spot on. When I think of ashamed, I think of it, the, all those things, and and probably yeah. a lot more words. But I, when I think of shame, it's just it's the it's the stuff that I. I don't like about me and the stuff I feel very embarrassed about and guilty about and wrong about. Um, yeah. It's very personal. I, doesn't it feel heavier than all those things, though? To me, shame is shame is the... Well, it's a word. I mean, all, if, we, if, if, it was, if those words were enough, we wouldn't need this word. And you're right. I think it's a very... I think shame is... Um, when I think of shame, I just think of like a shriveled flower. I think of like a beautiful thing turning in because it's, it, it doesn't, it forgets its truth. I think of, I think of shrivel and, and shrink and, and just, um, and I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I agree. Okay. So, um, can you talk about, um, can you talk about the earliest memories that you have of shame, of experiencing shame? Yeah. So the earliest memory I have is around my when my parents got 
divorced. I was six. Um, and I remember seeing my father be ashamed and absorbing that, you know, um, I think my first language was codependence <laughs> and, and, uh, especially for, with him, <laughs> for him. I mean, it was absolutely. And, uh. and I saw him be ashamed, you know, he was, when they got divorced, he moved, we, he moved from the house we lived in into a tiny, tiny apartment in a kind of crappy area of town. He had no money. Uh, he was drinking, you know, a good amount. That was a big part of their, of his story. And I just felt him be ashamed and, and I felt ashamed because of that. Um, the, and it felt, you know, I just, I saw it as being, um, deeply painful, low feeling. Um, and then I grew up going to Catholic church and, you know, when we were talking, when we were thinking through how we were going to structure this, uh, this didn't, this came to me, you know, as I was thinking about this question, like our earliest memories. I mean, I remember just walking into church, to Catholic church, and feeling dirty, punished. Like, this is um, everything about it. It didn't feel holy. It didn't feel um, like churches sometimes feel to me now or like spirituality feels to me. It felt really, uh, like, icky. I don't know. I was a young, young kid. I mean, we started going when I was a baby probably. So I, I think of dirtiness and repenting and being punished for just basically who you are. Um, mm. I learned, you know, my grandma, God love her. And I, she's one of my most kindred spirits, but you know, she would say things like, um, she was very disgusted with sex, any, any hint of uh, sexuality, she, you know, turned away from it. It's kind of classic old school, you know, Italian Catholic. And she was very ashamed of displays of, you know, I mean, she was very emotional, but I just remember being, you know, very, I got many messages around my body and sexuality being really shameful. And, um, that, that carried through, I mean, all the way until maybe just the past couple of years around my body. So there's a lot of shame there. Um, definitely around any feelings of sexuality as deeply, deeply ashamed to have mm. those feelings of being sexual. I mean, and, and, uh, and I never got that message corrected. You know, my, my parents had great intentions, I'm sure, but just, you know, it was like, no, put that away you know, no, we don't talk about it. Um, it's gross. And it was just never recognized. Um, and mm. I think for both women and men, especially women, though, that the feeling of being ashamed of your body and just ashamed of having d needs and wants and desires, um, I just felt really gross about it. I always yeah. felt really gross. And I always felt, um, you know, one of my primary 
primary results of that, of not just my body, but just ashamed of kind of who, ashamed of my person, my humanness, um, was just always feeling like I was the guilty one. You know, I was always, everything is, is my fault. It's never anybody else's fault. It's always my fault. So I have a lot of early memories of shame. It's kind of a primary thing, um, that I experienced and it, you know, we're going to get into it, but it was certainly alleviated and exacerbated by drinking. Yeah. What were yours earliest memories? Um, I think it goes really, really young. And I think it was just always a sense of, I mean, I was definitely um, black sheep in my family and I knew it from a really young age. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that play into it. There was, but I just, I, there was this always feeling of being too much. There was always Mm -hmm. this feeling of being too much and of, um, wearing everyone out and of, um, I mean, I just tested things from a really young age and I always felt, um, like there was something wrong with me. I, from, I just, my earliest memories are of feeling like there was something wrong with me. And I don't, I can't necessarily pick the most, like the earliest thing that, you know, that, that leads to this, but I just do. I mean, with like, I remember on the playground, I felt too much. I remember around my sister, I felt too much. I remember around my parents, I felt too much um, and just a bit different. And, um, and, and so, and, and longing to fit in from a really young age. And I, I, it's all kind of jumbled for me, like when I'm trying to like really peel back and say what exactly was shame, but a couple experiences, I think like, like really stand out, um, I think that, um, oh, now I'm losing it. Hold on. Well, there was one about your thighs, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, I had, well, I mean, the, like the clearest stuff starts happening when I started going through puberty. I mean, I, you know, I, I remember being told that um, by looking at, at, at the, in the mirror with my sister and my cousin and um, my thighs were touching because I, I gained a lot of weight when I was, I was the same weight and when I was in sixth grade that I am now. So I went through a little, little um, Oh my God. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. I mean, girls, girls go through crazy stuff. I gained a yeah. lot of weight and then I lost it all. Like, um, but I just, my thighs touched and, and yeah. I, you know, my sister, my cousin pointed out that, that, wasn't right. And I like when I was going through this, my mind flipped to all of these when when I was trying to kind of think of what was shame, um, my mind flipped through to all of these like these flashes. Like I um I remember when Holly Waddell like looked at my open toed shoes and I have a deformed toe and she said, Wow, that's brave. I wouldn't wear open toed shoes if I were you. Ugh. And I remember, you know, I just remember like um I, I just, I, I always kind of found myself in situations because I felt so different. I always felt myself in situations longing to belong and trying to fit into the popular crowd and, um, and sacrificing myself um, because myself wasn't good enough as it was and always trying to fit into this mold of, of being something that I wasn't because I didn't feel like what I was was good enough ever. There was always this piece of me that felt very lacking. Uh-huh. And I don't know exactly where that came from. I think it was just all the experiences and, and, and really, truly, like, I remember, I mean, in my 
my extended family, it was just so clear that there was something wrong with me. There was just, I was, I like, I remember one time I was at my aunt's house and I took my shoes off and I was wearing open-toed shoes again and my feet were dirty and I stepped on their white carpet and I remember leaving footprints and just trying mm-hmm. to cover it up. And oh. um, and then my, um, my, my cousin freaking out and my aunt saying, shh, you know, like just this, you know, this, this sense of like, oh God, how, how is it that everyone else here can wear open toed shoes and not stain the carpet? And, but me, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, um, and I guess I'll just say, I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a, I guess that's an example that kind of covers the whole thing is why am I such a mess? Why am I such, why am I, you know, why, 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 why am I different? What is wrong with me? And why can't I just be like that person or that person or that person or that person? So I would yeah. say it's this like overwhelming sense of not being good enough and feeling like I wasn't good enough and feeling like I was very different. Um, none of my teachers ever liked me. None. Not one. They all like had the same look that, that my mom had a lot of the time, which was back of the hand to the forehead, you know, like, oh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're wearing me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then no matter what you do, not being able to d- make it, di- you know, not be able to blot yourself out enough to, to yeah. make a difference. No, I couldn't. I mean, they're really, I couldn't, that's a great way to put it. I couldn't blot myself out enough. I, I wish I could have. I wanted to both fit in and be seen, and I wanted to completely disappear. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's heavy. When I think about it, ugh. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so heavy. I mean, I just, so heavy, so heavy. Yeah, I know. I get it. So, yeah. So, I mean, my first experiences of shame were very, I mean, it's, it's kind of what I think of when I, it's the, it's the overarching, it's the overarching thing I feel when I think about, I, it's, the, it's the overwhelming feeling that I think about when I think about um, up until, honestly, up until a couple of years ago. Oh, me too. Mm-hmm. For sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not until sobriety that uh, yeah. I started to lose it. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So then let's talk about um, specific memories of shame that we have around drinking. Mm. Yeah, you go. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, every I was <clears throat> I was ashamed of my drinking, um, even when there wasn't anything necessarily to be ashamed about. I remember uh, in college after a, you know, after a big night when everybody drank and everybody got drunk, I woke up feeling like there was something terribly just wrong, you know, like the dooms with me Um, and just watching everybody else and how they reacted to it and, and you know, trying to assimilate that, like, the the jokiness and the, you know, telling stories and, um, but, but I was really ashamed, um, especially of blacking out, uh, which happened to me from, you know, the kind of the very beginning, uh, about things that I said or didn't say or didn't remember. Um, so I felt... I felt a lot of shame, just general sort of shame about it, or anxiety. You know, it's certainly anxiety and sometimes shame. Um, I felt 
so ashamed. I mean, the, the body shame really plays into it because when I went to college, I was tiny, tiny, tiny. We've talked about this in the eating disorders first episode. And when I got there, I quickly gained a lot of weight. I started binging and and drinking and I put on over the course of the first year and a half, like 60 some pounds. And uh, I hated everything about that. I hated my body and I was deeply ashamed of it. But I also really wanted attention from uh, men and I hadn't had sex yet uh, at that age. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't have sex till I was 21. And I felt like my way to get the attention I wanted was to, and to forget how much I hated my body and how ashamed I was of it was to drink. That was my way through it. So it was, it was like a, um, a shame spiral because I would drink to lessen, you know, the shame of my body, the shape of it, the, how uncomfortable I felt in it, that, you know, the alcohol worked for that. And then I would do things, you know, with men, I would flirt or I would, you know, try to be whatever I thought it was that I needed to be, um, because the alcohol let me do that. And then, you know, it, it, it ended the, or sort of the, the climax of that and sort of the, the point that all of my stories can, you know, about, about men and drinking can, um, have the same punchline was the first time I had sex, uh, I was drunk. I was really drunk. And, uh, and I just, every time thereafter, it was not a choice, you know, it was not a choice for me. It was a attention seeking and approval seeking, a um, a love seeking behavior. Um, <clears throat> and there was a lot of shame around that. I mean, I woke up, you know, from that and felt like, awful that I was so drunk and awful that I had sex and awful that I neglected my, I, I knew that I was neglecting myself and my body. Um, but I couldn't stop doing that. I didn't know how else to get what I wanted. So there was a lot, a lot, lot, lot of behavior, a shame, uh, around my behavior with men. And that carried through to my marriage. Um, I, I don't have shame about, you know, how I was with my husband with, you know, when we first met and when we were, I don't have shame about that part, but I have a lot of shame about what drinking led me to do in my marriage. Um, you know, a lot of inappropriate behavior with other men, a lot of lying, um, a lot of, uh, deception, and yeah, I mean, I, I have, I had, I was in, in, in the, the, that's when the shame spiral kind of took on a different velocity <laughs> because I was so ashamed of the fact that I could do these things and be this person that I didn't think I was. And, and yeah. I started to actually believe that's who I was, you know? Yeah. I do. Uh, I started to believe that, or it was like an innocence in me was sh was completely shattered. You know, I would draw a line and then I would cross right over it. 
and I'd draw another line and I'd cross right over it and I'd draw another line and cross right over it. And, you know, then, then there was, um, a, a child in the mix. Um, and when we talk about shame, you know, in, in all of my drinking stuff, I mean, I could go, this could be an, a, a six hour long episode to talk about all the things I'm ashamed about. Um, whether it comes to friendships or lying or, you know, stealing, um, it, it goes on and on. But the, the, the number one thing that I'm ashamed of or felt shame about in my drinking was being a, dr- a mother who, a drunk mother. I was going to say, say it. <laughs> yeah. A drunk mother, a yeah. drunk mother. Um, yeah. And we've talked about this because that's, yeah. Well, there's I mean, there's classes of shame in drinking, and there's and, and mothers and 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 drinking is one of what of what society. I mean, it's what society rejects the most, and what a yeah. society is appalled at by the most. And then there's the the other category, which Andow Set Johnston um, uh, speaks about, which is mothers who abuse while they're pregnant, yep. um, and um, and and not just alcohol, but also drugs and um and what we do to those women and there's and you're right there's just this special reserved you know shame that that um yeah it's a special vitriol it is it is for mothers who drink yeah Yeah. and um there's i mean the the those are the memories the shame that's where the the shame was the thickest uh and you know, drinking, I did drink a little during my pregnancy, but not, um, abusively. I mean, I drank, you know, like the glass here and there that the, um, the doctor said I could, but I, I felt really ashamed about wanting to drink way more than that. Oh God, I bet. Right. Um, and how, I mean, I, I, how deeply, deeply I missed alcohol in my pregnancy. Um, so there was that. And I, you know, I, right. Because you think you should just be enjoying this time and just yeah, not and think I, about and, alcohol and right. And that there's, you know, that, um, yes, that there's something, you know, completely broken in me that I feel that way. Um, <clears throat> and I, you know, I, I have deep shame about, I don't know if we've talked about this. I think maybe we have, but you know, the second that I had all my, um, I went, dove off the sobriety cliff very quickly um and was how did you manage breastfeeding was that a thing yeah oh yeah and and huge shame around that I mean I I was very well versed in every article on the internet about how you know how much you could drink before you you know when you had to dump it um Mm-hmm. And and the time between you know when you drank and when you breastfed mm-hmm. and yeah I mean I I worked very hard to make sure that I was within the bounds but I was so far out of the bounds I mean I came home from you know there was a one specific thing that sticks out in my mind is I came home from I had my mom uh, and her husband at the time come watch. Uh, my daughter when she was weeks old, truly weeks old. We were just, um, it was St. Patrick's Day in South Boston, which is a huge parade day. It's um, a complete shit show. It was one of uh, of my favorite days. 
And, you know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to miss it. This was like my, my coming back. It sounds like my, it's so funny. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I'm like, that sounds like my biggest nightmare now, but it would have been one of my favorite days. Oh yeah. I mean now, yeah, it was truly one of my favorite days. Discovering what happens in South Boston on St. Patrick's day was like winning the lottery. The first time I experienced it, I truly like raised my fist to the heavens. Like you understand me. You understand <laughs> you gifted me. me this. A day where I can drink from the beginning to the end with, you know, at, and do, and everyone's in the same, you know, the same boat. It was like pure heaven. And, uh, but this was, you know, the sixth or seventh year of this thing. And, oh, God. and, um, mm-hmm. you know, we, I had a massive group of friends and we were right on the parade route and I had just had a baby and I'd been sober for nine months and I was back, you know, and I, um, periodically came in and checked on my newborn and, um, but kept going back out and drinking more and, um, there were drugs involved and I, we finally came back around 10 or something, uh, in, at, in the evening and we'd started at 10 and I Googled, you know, I had done cocaine and I Googled, you know, what, you know, what cocaine would do if you breastfed your baby after you'd done cocaine. And I had already breastfed her and, you know, for like a second. Um, and I woke up with such sheer terror and shame that I could be so selfish and so fucked up to do something like that to this, to my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, story upon story like that. There's drunk driving and um, putting her in a lot of danger and um, it goes on and on and on. But there's, there's no shame. I felt like the shame of, of that. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it's hard to talk about. It's really hard to talk about. It's still hard to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't go there very often. I'm, uh, it, yeah, I don't. Um. And we are, and we are. I mean, we've talked about this for a while. I think this is one of the aspects of, um, that we want to go a lot deeper on in the show just because we're, and we're, we're going to have, um, we're going to have Melissa Johnson on from My Truth Starts Here. And just because, you know, we talked about it over this weekend, it's one of the, it's one of those areas and, and that, that I think, um, it's one of those areas that I think just, binds so many women um as you're explaining right now yeah and so it um but it was it's um one of the areas that also made me think um that this had to be a disease this had to be something that was out of my will my control mm-hmm. because while I, because I loved my daughter fiercely and I love her, but I was still doing this thing that I, that I didn't want to be doing with her, yeah. you know, yeah. over and over. Um, 
Yeah. So the, the, mm-hmm. there's a lot. I mean, pretty much, you know, as we're talking about this, it's becoming more and more like I can just feel it in my throat and my chest. I mean, the shame, it was thick for 20 years uh, around drinking and um, and it it got thicker and, and the thickest around being a mother. Um, but it, it truly, it, it didn't, it never left. The shame never left. And it, um, it just, you know, you add on to the pile. Uh, and part of this process has been uncovering that and not like reliving it. But, um, but there is an element of recognition of what happened and, um, looking at that. Well, there's an element of recognition, but shame is different than recognition. Yeah, no, and I want to talk about that for sure. I want to talk about that, but 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 um, we're gonna get there. What? Um, <laughs> you okay? What? Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm okay. It's just like it's heavy. It's hard. So much, I there's know. There's so much. I know. Um, there, and you know, I I thought about. I'll tell one more story that kind of when I was. Towards the end of, I had been trying to get sober for almost a year, and I um, got really drunk one night here at my house. Alma was with me, my daughter was with me, and I, she had gone to sleep, you know, long before, and I drank a few bottles of wine, and I don't remember. Um, throwing up, but I, but I woke up, uh, and walked out to the hall, um, outside of our bedroom and the hall looked like a murder scene. There was red wine, vomit all over the white walls, just like splattered and had ran down the walls all over the floor. And my shoes that I had, my boots that I had on were caked with it. Um, and I just had left it you know, I didn't, I was in such a blackout state or whatever that I had just left it and like gone to bed. And I woke up and, um, I, in a frenzy, you know, started to clean it up and she woke up, um, she had heard me and, you know, she was like, she's five at this point. And she's like, mom, what happened, mama? Um, what is all over the walls? And I had, you know, I made up a story about, I don't know, this is so crazy. I don't know what happened or, you know, something must have fallen or spilled or something. And this little girl is helping me, you know, spray the walls <sighs> with bleach and a rag and, you know, her sweet little hands are trying to clean it up and, um, you know, for like an hour and I'm just trying not to cry and, um, trying not to throw up and, you know, it's just like those things. Like I, I know because I know her and how sensitive and intuitive she is that she knew I was full of shit. Um, she was just trying to help me. Um, you know, she was trying to help me and, well, when I see that, I mean, when I see that, I can't even imagine what it feels like from your end. I mean, there's, it's, that's without words. Um, but I also see like from this other place of, um, of her being a little angel, you know, like of her, of her, sometimes people are sent to us and even though we're taking care of them, they take care of us. Right. And 
that's to me I see something that's very sweet and even though it's um devastating (laughs) it's really devastating yeah but I don't live there anymore you know no No, but I think what it makes me feel is um how many of us you know how many mothers like have to go through something like that so okay (laughs) okay so um yeah what are what what is your what are your shames around drinking Um, okay. It just feels, I mean, nothing is relative. Everything's relative. It just feels trite now. Um, but, um, my, my shame around drinking, um, is very similar to yours in that it, 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 I mean, I don't remember a time when I was drinking, like, I don't remember a time in my drinking career, you know, uh, 20 years. 15 to 33, 18 years. I don't remember a time that I was really free of shame. And the first, maybe the first party I went to, right? Maybe that. Maybe the first two or three times I was like, fuck, yes. Um, (laughs) But I just remember really clearly one of the first, like, really big drunk things that happened to me was on New Year's Eve when I was a sophomore in high school. And I was at a party, and then I I let some guy give me a hickey on my boob in a living room. You know, I let Bobby Majors suck my tit in a fucking living room with other people at, like, 1 in the morning. And not, like, full on, but just, like, you know, we were just whatever. And I remember going to school. I remember what it was like going to school on that, you know, after that weekend. And just... Um, and, and people like saying, Bobby wants to be your boyfriend, you know, and just like, and feeling like, fuck, man, like, fuck, you know, that just that, ugh. And I had, I developed a reputation very quickly for, you know, being, you know, that girl. And I can't imagine what that was like, because that was not my experience. Like, I Mm -hmm. was pretty much the opposite, um, I feel like as mean? a teenage girl, I, I I didn't mess around. Like I I was. I'm not <laughs> talking about that girl yet. I'm not talking about being a slut. I'm talking oh, okay. about I'm talking about going to school and as, as being seen as a as like wild. Oh I, like, okay. Yeah. No. Um. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um. No, that girl meaning that girl that just gets drunk drunk at parties and that just yeah. like you know um. And always does, and um, and goes to every party. And so I, you know, there was I was voted most senioritis my um, senior year. And I mean, <laughs> we're talking like I was, I was, I was like a. I went into high school and I was in like all gate, you know, gifted and talented education classes. I had like a four point one. Um, I, you know, played soccer and I was on this like I was on I was on the. Um, leadership board. I was like one of four people in my high school that sat on a, um, a leadership board that was, um, that sat with all the administrators and represented the students. It wasn't government. It was just because you were such a leader. And I was, we need to put you somewhere like (laughs) where you can use this power, hopefully for good. (laughs) 
And I was, um, I had, uh, I was a peer counselor in, in junior high and I, you know, I was just, I was, and then, oh, and then my parents, I mean, you know, my, then my parents got divorced and my dad said he was gay and that was the end, you know? And so when I started to party, I started a party and I, um, I, I mean, I just, I went down a completely different path and I don't remember, I don't remember ever not feeling um, shame or I wanted people to, I wanted to be able to be that free and be that drunk and I wanted people to not notice, people really noticed and people attached yeah. a stigma to me and um, I was, you know, I was the friend that parents didn't want their kids to be friends with and I was, you know, anyway, um, and so I, between the, between getting a reputation for it, between, uh, between not remembering what I had done, between crossing so many lines, I mean, I have, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I, I don't remember any stories around drinking that aren't shame-fueled. I remember, yeah. I remember only shame-fueled stories and, um, and yeah, I mean, that carries on, right? That carries on. You, you're always conscious of it. You're always conscious if you, of, of how you act, of how much you drank, of what people think about how much you drank, of, of, of what you do when you drank, of what you said and that you don't remember, of, of so much of it. And then you know, the end parts of it are, um, are a different shame because they're the, that's when the, the lies and the covering and, and covering up for it. You know, before it was kind of all on the open and, and there were, you know, I had comrades, you know, there was, there was yes. other people doing this. And then all of a sudden it was this very private hell mm -hmm. and they're, you know, going to manicures and like having, you know, going to get my manicure done and stopping at the liquor store and buying, you know, airline shots, um, before my manicure in that, you know, or, um, being drunk in the mornings, um, and, t and doing work calls or, you know, sitting oh. in my apartment with bags and bags of, 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 of sickness, of sickness and, oh. and just, and constantly cleaning up after myself, right? Constantly. It was almost like I had a bulimic life. I mean, because I would purge on all this stuff and I'm not talking about just food, but on alcohol and all of it. And then when I would be able, when I'd go through a couple of days and there I would be starting right over and I would go, you know, I would, I, I used to buy sheet sets and throw them out and buy sheet sets and throw them out because I would stain yeah. all my sheets and I would buy clothes and throw them out and buy clothes and throw them out because I would stain all my clothes and, you know, in my bed or, you know, and, um, and I would go through this, this whole purging process by like, you know, going through my apartment, like after one of these things and cleaning everything up and just being, and trying to rid the evidence and, and starting over new and thinking, okay. And then I go right back into it and, ugh, and then I'd be there again and I swear it would be the last time. And, you know, this time would be different and, oh, I can't do this anymore. And then over and over and over again. And so, and just, you know, people like keep, you know, you, you know, this pattern of you start keeping people out of your life. You don't people to come into your oh, space. Yeah. You don't want anybody to it's know what's going on. <laughs> it's so much. I mean, I spent, my life was dedicated to either getting fucked up or cleaning up after it. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and so a the bulimic shame, life is a really way to, good yeah. way to put it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I mean, the shame that I had around it in the end was, was what my life was actually like and what people thought it was like was this, was the, the, you know, the major split there. 
the dissonance between what was actually happening and what I was trying to project was happening and um, and just such such shame around who I was, what I was doing and what was happening to me. And so, yeah, I mean, that's it. The drinking, like drinking and, and shame, I don't, there wasn't a, you know, it changed and it tasted different throughout the years and it appeared different throughout the years. And, you know, I would outgrow one aspect of it, you know, like my happy hour days where I would make out with married men or, yep. um, you know, my, or, you know, like going to work and think, ugh, you know, or what did he, ugh, God, um, changed. Right, but into, it's pervasive. I mean, that's it's pervasive, but it yeah. changes flavor. Um, it did for me and um and in the end it was just the shame of the lies of 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 the lies and the fucking bullshit that was happening and and that I was you know the hell that I was living um and and when people like people around me really close to me were smelling it like my mom and my sister you know you can't hide that stuff from those that are the closest to you 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 show you know you miss one too many flights you Um, you know, uh, skip one too many, this, you, you know, show up looking like this one too many times, you, you know, don't return phone calls for 10 days, you know? Oh, I was just so busy at work. That's why I didn't call you back for 10 days, mom. Very busy. Very busy. Always. So busy. Uh, no, I was just too drunk and depressed to actually pick up my phone and call you. Sorry. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, there's... There's so much yeah. shame. There's so much fucking shame. Um, I know. And then we, yeah, and then we go to get sober and it's like, I mean, that's what we'll, we'll, what we'll talk like, about kind of get yeah. into next. But yeah, I mean, it's years, it's decades, it's decades worth of shame. It is. Well, it's just like you start creating a little shame hole when you're a little tiny thing. Yeah. You just keep digging until and, and you don't, you don't really come back up from that until you start to work with it. And that's what we're going to talk about next. But you're right. I don't think, I mean, for you you said this, I I did not escape shame or deal with it or start to look at it or start to move with it or start to move away from it or start to, you know, come on from under it until sobriety, until I started to, I mean, the thing, my it's so funny because my I, the, those really early days, I would go into churches and I would fall on my knees and I would say, please, God, make me be good. Please, God, make me be good. Please, God, make me good. Like that would, I mean, I would say it in my mind, like, especially that, that first time I went to Italy. I went to every church. I literally went to every church. I had a book. I found them all. I went into them. And I believed that if I prayed in every single one of those churches, I'm not Catholic, but I just thought that's where God was. Um, and I would just pray and pray and pray, please, God, make me be good. Please make me be good. Please interesting make me choice be good. of words, too. Why? Because you wouldn't say that now. No, I wouldn't say that now. No, no, no. I, it's so foreign to me. It's so foreign. But but at that time, it was very, it was the only thing I could reach for. Yeah, no, and, I know. And I wanted, that's what I wanted. I wanted to stop, I wanted to stop being a fuck up. I wanted to stop being bad. I wanted to stop being... Yeah all of the things I was. And for me, it was just, just please make me be good. Just help me, help me. And, and I think that that's, um, that's such a, I mean, it's all evolutionary, but that was the, that was my entry point of just, and the thing I wanted more than anything was just to be good. I was sick of being the bad one. I was sick oh, of being the bad I one. I know. I know. Oh, I know. God, this is hard, <laughs> right? It's very hard. It's, 
the hardest. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful, though. I mean, well, it is. Th- yeah, this is – it is. It's, it is beautiful, and it's, um, imp- it's important. Ugh, all right. So, Laura, how have you dealt with shame? <laughs> how have you – yeah, How have you worked like what have you done in your in in your recovery to start dealing with the shame, either directly or indirectly? Right. Um. Well, so I didn't. Uh, I didn't know that this is what I would be doing, but uh, shame is what you know. Shame and also desperation was what got me to go to, go to an AA meeting. Um, mostly desperation. I mean, the shame was just so, so there that, uh, I didn't think there was a way out of it, but you know, the, the sort of the, the defining moment I think is when you, for me was, and what I had avoided for so long and what so many of us avoid is we don't think that we could actually look at it. You know, I don't think if I was to look at all the things that I had done and all the shame, uh, you know, and, and really face my shame, it would be far too much. Like, there's just no way. I remember talking to my friend Jenny, uh, who had, had at that point been sober for several years. She was my college roommate. And she would talk about doing her doing the step work and talk, you know, making amends to people and writing down the list of things that you, um, your part in, in things. And I just thought there's absolutely no way I will ever do that. I I will never be able to look at that stuff. I truly thought telling the truth, um, and looking squarely at the things I was ashamed of was just not an option. I would have rather, I would have, I, I thought I'd rather die truly. Uh, I thought I would just rather die. Um, and, and so we, you know, I kept drinking because that was the alternative. I just kept drinking at it <clears throat> until that wasn't working anymore. And the way that I you know, started to deal with it was to go to a, to 12 step meetings and you hear other people talking like we are today. I mean, st- just truly saying these things that I thought were absolutely, you know, one that only I had ever experienced the the levels of the the deception and the shame and the and all of that. I thought, first of all, I you know I was the only one who had experienced those things, and second of all, I definitely you know had never heard people talk that way. Um. <clears throat> Not in real life. I'd heard of, I read about it and stuff like that, but I'd never actually seen it. Men and women and um, talking about it as though it was no big deal. You know, there was still like emotion, and there was still, um, you know, when people would share, there was a lot behind it. But they didn't have the shame that I did, and so that was seeing that um, was the way I first first dealt with it uh, was just by seeing it removed and other people who had been where I had been and were, you know, had seemed to be okay, despite having gone through all I had and more in a lot of cases, you know, people that had 
actually lost their children, people that had had actually gone to jail, people that had, um, you know, hurt others, you know, been convicted of crimes and all this stuff. I had, I could see them on the other side of that. So that's one way I really started to work with it. And it's still the way, you know, we had been taught, we had talked before when we were getting ready to prepare this and I'm writing down the ways I worked with it. And for me, AA is the, is the biggest tool, um, and the most continuous one and the biggest, um, the sort of the, the daily one that I work with that provides the sort of daily reprieve from the shame and the, um, I, you know, I don't feel the acute shame anymore, but it provides the tools to be able to face that stuff. Um, so that, that is, I would say my primary way uh, and it's through other people. I mean, really what I'm talking about when I talk about AA is not the, you know, the big book or uh, it's, th- it's through other people working with it through others. Um, and for me through, through God too. Right. Um, there, I mean, in some respects, all the work that I've done, every single book that I've read that has meant anything to me, even roomy poems, um, are are working with shame. But I'll just pull out a few that have helped me the most. So Byron Katie, for me, was a really big, um, her work is a really big tool uh, she actually, it's called The Work. And listening to her, I, I read her books, but that really wasn't what, it wasn't what did it for me. It was listening to her. Um, <clears throat> she gives a lot of talks and listening to her and watching her. She actually, on her site, thework.com, she has a lot of videos of her working with, with people one-on-one and having conversations with them. And these are people who have experienced the entire range, um, anything from you know, having some, having been sick with cancer or having someone they love die to people that have been convicted of murder, um, and watching her work through their shame with them. Yeah. That was a, that was a, um, and continues to be sort of a foundational piece for me, the questions that she asks through her work. So there's that, um, the the number one, <laughs> ironically, the number one thing, and this kind of goes back to A, was just starting to tell the truth um, about myself and, you know, noticing that I don't vaporize and noticing that it, that actually the, the act of telling the truth continually, um, a thing that I truly thought was impossible from the time I was, uh, before I can remember telling the truth about how I felt and who I am and what I've experienced and what it really feels like to me um, <clears throat> helped me relieve, you know, relieve the shame. And it continues to, um, because it, it can, I believe it's because it connected, it had started to connect me to the, the God in all of us, the humanity in all of us. Um, and that, it's impossible to feel shame when, when that's present for me. Um, and then the other piece I will mention, 
two of them. One is yoga, just the practice of yoga, the physical practice of meeting myself on my mat. Um, and there's sort of a beautiful, beautiful humility in that. Uh, um, and it's just a really practical tool. Um, that, that helps me work through a lot of shame actually. And it, and it still does. Um, I don't know what that is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you probably have better words for it, but I think the act of doing yoga that the bringing it, you know, into like getting into my own breath, seeing like the beautiful when you're on this mat, you know, for 90 minutes or whatever, however long it is, and you're just there with your body. And, you know, even just like getting intimate when you're in a pose with like looking at your own toes for for 60 (laughs) seconds and just seeing that this, you know, it's like there's something so beautiful about the starkness of that of just holding a pose in your breath and your heart beating and looking at you know your toes and noticing I just started to see bits of my body that I had rejected for so long um in a in a m- m- more loving light yeah yeah um and heal the body, the body piece, you know, I didn't touch on, but that, you know, that it helps me heal my, my shame around my body a lot. And then the last piece, the last uh, tool or book or body of work that, that really helped me too is, um, and I mentioned it before, but it is David Hawkins, Hawkins, um, has many books, but one of them, the first one I read is called Power Versus Force. Uh, and it's about the hidden determinants of human behavior. And he actually quantifies, um, calibrates emotions, uh, levels of human consciousness or what he calls them. And he talks about shame. Shame He, he calibrates them from zero to a thousand and shame is, is the lowest. And I'm looking, I'm holding the book in my hand right now. And um, he just, it, it uh, describes these emotional states or these levels of consciousness in such a way that it's almost clinical. Um, there's t- totally a metaphysical you know, aspect to his work, but he does this really amazing job for the more logically minded <laughs> uh, people to talk about our states of consciousness and how they affect us and how they affect our behavior and our lives. Um in a really, he's an MD and a PhD. Uh, and he just, it's, it is unlike any other body of work I've ever read or, um, or had access to. And I feel like he's uh, drastically, Wayne Dyer was a big proponent of his work. Um, but you know, I would just encourage, I won't try to go into it all, but it, it frames things in such a way that allowed me to look at and work with shame and understand it. Cause a lot of in sobriety, a lot of it was not knowing what the fuck I felt like not knowing what, you know, what, what the difference was between shame and guilt and, um, and what was the other one we were talking about? <laughs> shame, guilt, Oh, regret, grief, apathy, um, desire, fear, you know, what is, what is it that I'm feeling and what do those things taste like and how, um, 
how do they feel in my body? And it started to give me just a framework for working with, with shame, especially. Awesome. I think that's it. I, I could go on. There's so many beautiful tools. Yeah, I but know. I know. I think they, I think most of them deal with it on some level. To be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are yours? I'm so curious. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think doing the work that I did very early on with, um, when I read Gabby Bernstein's, well, I, I think that really part of it was not, was realizing I wasn't the only woman in the world. I think that's the first way that I started to unravel the shame because I always thought I was on an island and I always thought it was only me that had these thoughts. And then when I read Gabby Bernstein's, I think it was Spirit Junkie, she says I was addicted to, I mean, it's not, it's not graphic, but it was just like, I was addicted to Subway, bad love, drugs, and, um, I know. That's like, wait, no, she says that? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's like, you were addicted to Subway? Well, the funny it, thing is. I thought it is, was, um, Arby, or no, no, what was yours? Arby's. Jack in the Box. No. What? Didn't you like Jack in the Box? I liked all, any fatty foods that served <laughs> large sizes of fries. Um, and, sorry. <laughs> no, but I was, but there was a subway down my street and I would go, I would, my walk was from work. I had a three block walk and one block away from work, there was a subway and I would get two foot longs. And then, um, and then the next block was my, you know, wine store and I would get my wine and, and I would go and I would, I would, oh God, um, there's still there's still music albums I can't listen to because yeah. I'd go home and I'd say, I'm just going to have a bite of that one and then I'll save the rest for later in case. And then, you know, then then I'd be, you know, a couple bottles in and ugh, anyway. Um, no, but my first, but when I read that line from her, I was like, oh my, there was some release in it. It was just um, because I felt like I was on a, I did, I felt like I was in this special class of people that didn't, you know, like didn't suffer the way that I did. And, um, and then just hearing that and it was some, it was something as silly as Subway, you know, I was eating massive amounts of Subway and so was this other person. So there was this feeling of realizing that my, um, that I wasn't alone and, and then that just collected over time. So I think that was one of the first things. And then I did make cause miracles, which was, um, required me to write out a list of all the fears that I had. And I sat one night and I wrote out a list of all the things that I was scared of. And there was in, in the big theme from that was, what people thought of me and people finding out about me and you know and so when I started to work in that way and started to kind of look at this stuff I'd say that 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 did start to undo it but the real the real um the real stuff came from having to from from doing something subversive and publicly subversive you know not publicly not not you know not broadcasting my story but but not drinking in a, in a, when I had a life that was drink centric, um, and sticking to it and owning it. And, and honestly, just, I remember this one, I remember like those first few conversations, you're not drinking. And it was, you know, it was either when I was just saying I was a non-drinker, I remember just starting, when I started to use the word alcoholic, I would say, I would just very, very, no, I'm an alcoholic you know, and, um, just be done with it. And that would shut people up right away, um, and make them terribly uncomfortable. And then, um, you know, so there's this, this, when you, when you had, when I started to have to 
own this part of me that society doesn't know what to do with. I started to find a lot of power. I started to find a lot of power. And when I, I um, and I just kind of kept on talking about it and when I and talking about my path and and I started and I was very proud of it I was very proud of what I was doing and I was very I was very loud and when I did that that just it changed something and it 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 changed something in me which this this I don't give a fuck part of me began to emerge and I that that I don't give a fuck part of me is is really, you know, you can't be shamed when you don't give a fuck. And so there was just this movement, you know, that that was one thing. And um, kundalini training was was massive for me, and um, and just finding my power. And and I, it's also just this process of beginning to own yourself and your yeah. life, and this healing process that there's. It's just there's no there's no one point. Annie Grace and I were talking. We did a, a talk for my school the other day, and she and I were talking, and she said she doesn't know exactly when po- positive psychology happened for her or when it exactly, what moment it actually, you know, she had this moment where she had a moment of, of um, she broke down and she went to the positive instead of the negative and she doesn't know when that started to happen, but it started to happen and it happened. And I don't know when or what exactly, but I think just, um, again, going back to having to be the girl that didn't drink, um, and being the girl that didn't drink amongst many that did and yeah. um and just holding my head high and and owning it and and not letting that define me um was a really 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 big big tool for me and then also starting to carve out a life for myself that I was proud of and finding right. finding pride in yeah. who I was I had never been proud of myself. I mean, I've been proud of accomplishments. You know, I've been proud many times. I've been, you know, I, I, that pride wasn't something that I had never had, but there was just this pride that started to come from being incredibly, um, just more, more or less, I, I wrote this piece on, um, I think it was Mother's Day in 2013, and I was, it was my second or third piece that I ever wrote, and I was talking about, you know, big, big fail with my family again, and um, but also talking about how sweet my little life was, and that I wasn't hungover, and that I had, I was able to keep coffee. I mean, a big accomplishment for me was keeping coffee beans and half and half on hand. Um, yeah. I'd never been able to do that. I was always out. I was always out of coffee, and just having my and my fridge had, you know, had one thing in it, you know, but. It was an alcohol. It was half and half, and yeah. um, and and just that I was met. You know, this this like building this life. There was something that was so um, that was that was so I was so proud of, and so that. And then I would also say one of the biggest things that you know. So the process, just all the things I went through, just started to allow for me. You know, and 
And then finally, um, you know, and, and all the work I did with this, all the spiritual work I did, you know, really. I mean, all of the Course in Miracles stuff, all of the meditation, all the Kundalini stuff, all the reading, all of the chanting, all of the, all that. Um, but the one of the biggest things too is um, when I found uh, Dark Side of the Light Chasers yeah. was one of the biggest part was was like I would say it was the biggest bump. Um, because when I started to look at the parts of myself that I thought weren't good enough and that I was still separating off, because we do get into this thing where we, we start moving forward and we then start separating off parts of ourselves that we deem unworthy. I mean, we've always done this, right. but we do this, we, especially as we start to grow and move and change, you know, sobriety is a crazy change. It's a crazy, it's probably one of the most, most um, transformative experiences a human can go through because Everything changes. Yep. Everything changes. And so I, um, I had started to get into a, pro- a place of where I was, I was now this good Holly and now this, you know, different Holly and this spiritual Holly. And, yeah. I, and then all these other parts that were still there didn't have any room to live. And I was, you know, I was trying to kill them. And... Um, and that work really taught me to be able to bring the parts I was ashamed of back into me and own them and, and actually, like, realize that I was already, I was already okay, no matter, you know, and I'd always been okay. And that, um, you know, there's this yeah. Glennon Milton quote that says, the problem isn't that you're imperfect. The problem is you think there's something wrong with being imperfect. And that work really taught me that it was okay to be imperfect, that I actually still had something to offer and that I was still just as spiritual and I was still just as, you know, all these other things, but I could still be a gossip queen, you know, and I could still, or, you know, or or have that tendency and I could still, well, right, shadow, but I'm just explaining it in layman's terms, which is I could still be a bitch and I could still be, you know, I I went to, it's so funny, when we did this, um, when I had my yoga training, my vinyasa yoga training, and we went around in the circle and everyone was to talk about one word that encapsulated how they felt the experience. And there's like 30 something of us. And I was the last, like fourth to last one. And everyone's like, faith and hope. And they have these beautiful <laughs> stories and they're crying and they talk about like how this is the best two months of their life. And I'm sitting there and I was just like, it comes to me. And, and honestly, my first, I was, it was funny because the first word that then came to mind was love. And I said, you know, so I started out and I said, well, love was the first thing that came to mind. So that's good. But it didn't feel true. And yeah. I said, and I would say the word that comes to mind is, 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 is misery. And I said, this was hard. I didn't like being here most of the time. And I said, you know, and I told the story of Debbie Ford of when she stood up and said, um, she was, you know, about how she had, you know, Debbie Ford had done, spent $50,000 in five years on spiritual investigation and work. And she was at a, a workshop and she was talking and a woman interrupts her and says, you're a bitch. And Debbie Ford says, um, oh my God, she found me out. <laughs> and, um, and that was when she realized she had been trying to suppress this bitchy side of her because she no longer thought it was good. And that's, yeah. you know, kind of the basis for, that was her big revelation was that she could, that being a bitch had served her and she was still a bitch. And it didn't 
didn't take away from anything. She's still just, you know, she'd still just done all that work. She was still just as, you know, beautiful and 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 progressed and all this stuff. And so I, and so I sat in that yoga circle and I said, I'm a bitch. And I said, not, you know, and I am, and I'm a lover and I'm all these things, blah, 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 blah. And I said, and, and I feel great about it. And I said, so today I'm owning that this wasn't the best experience of my life. It was, a, it was an important experience, but I don't feel all the things that you guys feel. And then everyone was just like, okay, you know, like drops the mic, you know? And so, um, I would say that the biggest tool for me was actually allowing myself to be all of it. And yep. that still is such a big part of it. But I don't feel bad for, I don't shame myself when I feel petty. I don't shame myself when I feel jealous. I don't shame myself when I feel you know, lovesick or, you know, I mean, I might, but not in the way where I just think there's something so wrong, so wrong, so wrong, you know, like you're just, you're just wrong, Holly. You're just fucked up. Mm -hmm. I don't think that way. I just think, um, I notice and I'm, I'm observational, but I'm not, I'm not beating the fuck out of myself out for being human anymore. And, and I think that that, that came so much from all of the stuff, but specifically from Dark Side of the Light Chasers and from um, working with my shadow side, owning, owning all of me. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that book. It's it changed deep. my life. It's probably, if I could say, if, I, you know, if there were five books I'd boil it down to, I'd say that's, um, that was the, the key. So, yeah. yeah. So, last question: What do you still hold? What do you still? What shame do you still hold on to? What's the biggest for you? Yeah, I um, obviously knew we were going to be talking about this, and honestly, I I do have shame about rejection, like being rejected by men. Um, there's there's a, there's an element of shame around that, that, um, that hits me or can hit me. Um, it's gotten so much better and, it, you know, I moved through it, it more quickly, but that I would say is, is a thing. I, I, oh God, I feel like I'm full of shit in saying this, but I, but it's true. I don't honestly feel shame a lot anymore. I, in sobriety, I, I, one thing I forgot to mention, and, and as you were talking through it, I left out kind of the most, one of the most obvious things was just time, a time spent as a sober person. Um, because I'm not, um, there's not a lot in my life I'm doing that I'm truly ashamed of anymore, you know, and it's not because I'm so good. It's just, um, I'm living very differently. Uh, there's plenty I do that it is shitty and dark and shadow sidey and all of that, but I'm not ashamed of who I am anymore. Um, and that, and in sobriety. And so there's a time element to that because that, that lifted, that took a long time to lift. I, I didn't think that it would, especially the mother stuff. Um, so I don't, I don't have a lot of shame anymore. I have, like I was saying to you, I have regret. I do have regret about particularly around the way I dealt with uh, my marriage and 
uh, hit and him and uh, just I have a lot of shame. I have a lot of regret for the pain that I caused. I you know I, I do regret that I couldn't have dealt with it in a better way. I have regret around things that happened with my daughter, but I don't feel shame about it. I there's a I think it's Brene Brown. I think is where I heard this first, but she said shame uh, regret is about something you have done, and shame is about who you are. And it's a huge distinction. That was a that was a big light bulb moment for me. I I do have regret about things I've done. I don't feel I don't feel ashamed about who I am anymore. What about you? What What are you still ashamed about? Yeah, I have. Well, I have a lot of I have a lot of shame. I'm, I've I've told you this before. It's just kind of the place that I haven't gone. But I have a lot of shame around being a slut in high school. I don't know why. It's something that still sticks with me. It's something that it's not that I it's not that I think about it all the time. It's just when I go back and I go through anything, it's the part that I haven't I talked about this with I was talking about this with um when I was working with one of my coaches and I um it's just when I get to that period, it's not the drinking so much. I mean, I don't I don't have regret. I really don't. I don't have regret. I um I feel very, I feel very sewn up um, on all of this, and and I think regrets one of the, for me personally, regret just feels very. Um, it's it's like that quote from I can't remember who it was, Lily Tomlin maybe, which is um, <laughs> regret is asking for forgiveness from um, what is it? I'm gonna look it up really quick. One second. I know she said it's gonna get. A whole lot worse before it gets worse. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah, so forgiveness means giving up all hope for a better past. Forgiveness means, it's a Lily Tomlin quote, forgiveness means giving up all hope for a better past. And that to me just speaks volumes. I don't hope for a better past and I really, I love everything that's brought me into place. But if I'm talking about where I can feel, because I can feel shame and where I can, where, I, where I'm talking about where I can feel it, it's, um, yeah, it's that. It's just yeah. that. It's hard for me. It feels like when I'm saying it right now, I have sh- even, it's shameful to even say I have shame about it, if that makes sense. Like, there, I feel like, shouldn't I just be over this by now? Um, but but it's, it's really heavy and it's really sticky. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that I was, I mean, I was so confused at the time. I was so confused. And I just, ugh, I sucked a lot of dick and I can't get over it. I don't know why. I just I'm can't. laughing. It's not, it's just the way you said that. Was so <laughs> but funny. I did. I, I will never, my sister and I had a conversation when I was like 13 or 14 and she said, don't ever do that. Don't ever, ever, you know, suck a dick. And I didn't for a really long time. And then my boyfriend, Jeremy was visiting and I did it with him on my dad's couch. Oh God, the whole thing just makes me sick. And I, and then it just was like, okay, let's do this, you know? And it, for me, there's the shame is that I was trying, I mean, it's my stuff, but the shame is that I was using sexual favors to try and get something I was never going to get. Yeah. And I, and it makes me feel sick. 
So it's like, it's not regret because I would, I would suck all those dicks again. You know, I wouldn't change a thing of my past. I really wouldn't. But there is, um, there's a sickness around it that I can't really put my finger on yet. Um, and that I know I need to do work on, but you know, we can only do so much in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I still, but anything else, I, I really don't. I mean, I really, you know, I, I pretty, I'm pretty cool, you know, I'm pretty yeah. cool. Um, I have, I do have, um, vulnerability hangovers. I do, you know, if I overpose something, I always, oh, was that too, you know, I'm going to definitely have a vulnerability hangover about talking about sucking dick. But, um, but I, but it passes, it passes, you know, it doesn't, I don't hold on and, and I don't really shrink. Um, I don't shrink anymore. And there's this picture of me with Gabby Bernstein in January of 2013, I was still drinking. I, I I actually drank before going to one of her events, and um, and you just can see me in yeah. this. I'm just um, you. I'm like, I'm like, ha, you know, and um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know that exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm that, and I look at that, and I just. I can feel her. I can feel that girl, but I'm not that girl. Yep. I'm not that girl. I'm yep. not that girl. I'm, you know, that girl is ashamed five ways to Sunday or every which way to Sunday. And I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. And a lot of that too, I just have to, I want the last thing is the, one of the biggest ways to shed it is I talk about it. I mean, I just posted a picture of this fucking God awful mattress that had crap all over it that I've still been sleeping on and talked about all the types of stains that were on it. Piss stains, vomit stains, blood stains. And oh, by the way, the blood stains came from multiple places. They came from time, periods of time where I just would go to bed without wearing a tampon. See, I can say that and be like, whatever, because I was too tired to put a, you know what I mean? Like, whatever, you know? And I don't have any shame about that, you know? But, um, so I, a lot of it comes from just owning it and putting it and continually to throw it out, to throw it out. This is what I did. This is what I did. This is who I am. This is what I've, where I've been. This is what I've done. And by doing that over and over and over and over and over again, I mean, I'll meet up with somebody and I forget that they listen to my podcast. I forget that they read my blog because I don't assume this happens in the real world. I really just think that it's just you and I that will hear this call. And <laughs> I, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah, you, you, you know that I, um, you know, you know that I X, right. Uh, whatever I mean name it um yeah so um so yeah that was that's a big that's a big shame buster which is just being honest and 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 wearing it and owning it and saying oh yeah so yeah okay love it this is awesome. This is he- very heavy. But <sighs> oh awesome. God, I'm, fuck this! It was. I'm hard. gonna have to go <laughs> do something oh, yeah. to shake all the. I have a yoga class at nine fifteen, but you and I have a call right after this. We have some planning to do, girl. We do. All right. Um, this was beautiful and really hard, and I love you. And um, yeah, I think I'll forever have etched into my mind the picture of you and Alma. Ugh. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Like when I see it, though, from and I know it doesn't feel this way for you, but when I see it, it's really beautiful in my mind. It's a really sweet thing. 
Yeah. And it makes me cry. <laughs> but it'll get there. What's new? What's <laughs> new? Crying before nine. That's what we should name this episode. Crying before nine. Crying before nine. All right. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Bye. Bye. We talk. <laughs> but then we talk. Then we talk. Um, okay. I'm going to make them actually. Infinitely so. so.